Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one incredible page of Talmud each day. And in today's page, Bavakama 82, I came across a line that just stopped me cold in my tracks. At that time, the Talmud teaches us, the sages said, Cursed be the man who raises pigs, and cursed be the man who teaches his son Greek wisdom. Wait just a minute. Is that a call out against secular education? Are the rabbis warning us so many years avant la lettre about what universities might become? Is this an exhortation for us to only keep to our own traditions and learn nothing of the ways of the world? I was sort of deeply stirred by this line. And so I called the one man who I knew could clarify all that my great friend and teacher, Rabbi, Dr. Sensei, Ari Lam, welcome back to the show. Oh my God, there's nowhere I love being more than here. The best. Now tell me, are the sages of the Talmud telling us when they say, cursed be the man who teaches his son Greek wisdom, that we're not supposed to learn things like logic or rhetoric or philosophy or geometry? It's an amazing question. Now, the answer to the specific question you asked is no. How do we know? Because all the greatest minds of the Jewish tradition going back thousands of years have been experts in those very things. But if that's so, how do you square that with the warning that the Gemara provides us, that the Talmud provides us? I think in order to understand it, you need to, you need to understand that statement in context. The context in which the sages make that declaration is by recounting a story from pretty early on in Jewish history, but post-biblical, meaning uh, from the biblical period kind of comes to a close, as it were, uh, in the Persian period, and the, or with one potential exception, but comes to a close in the Persian period. But after the Persian period, that's when Alexander the Great conquers the world. And that begins in Jewish history, what's called the Hellenistic period. Now, the Hellenistic period is sort of the, the period that's influenced, and it's called that because it's influenced by the wisdom and traditions of the Hellenic world, of the Greek world, of Athens, and so forth. Um, and the most famous Jewish event that takes place during that period is the story of Hanukkah. You know, with eight, you know, oil lasting for eight days, et cetera, et cetera. But the story of Hanukkah geopolitically is really a story of the Jewish people carving out for themselves a semblance of sovereignty, or you know, it, it, that wouldn't last very long, but that, uh, but that lasted for a time. Uh, so you have this kind of break in Jewish history between the moments when the Jewish people are ruled by great foreign empires, the Persians, and then and then the Hellenistic empires, the followers of Alexander. Uh, on one end, and then the Romans on the other end. And that brief respite is called the Hasmonean period because they are, they're all descended from the Hashmonaim, from the, the Hasmonean dynasty, the followers of the Maccabees. You may remember it from such Israeli cities as Mudi'in. Exactly, exactly, or Hashmonaim for that matter now. Right. <laughs> so um, the, Hasmonean come, the Hasmonean period, at least uh, the Hasmonean period of self-rule, Jewish self-rule, more or less comes to an end uh, in a squabble between two uh, children who are distant and pathetic echoes of their grand and great forebears, uh, which is, uh, if, you've ever, if you've ever watched a show like Succession, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But basically, even these two sort of like degraded 
excuses for leaders whose names are Hyrcanus and Aristobulus, respectively, two brothers. So they're fighting. Uh, even these two people had a sense of what was at stake because as they're fighting, the Talmud relates to us. So one of them, uh, Hyrcanus, is in control of the city of Jerusalem and therefore of the temple. And the forces of Aristobulus are camped outside. And what would happen, the Talmud relates, is that even as they were fighting a desperate, bloody war and competing on both sides of a siege to determine who would control Jerusalem, the temple, the priesthood, even as that was going on, so every single day, the Bible commands, God commands us that we have to bring a daily sacrifice. And so what would happen is the besieged forces, the ones inside Jerusalem controlling the temple, would lower down a box with money in it every day. And the besieging force, the forces outside the city trying to break in, would take that money and they would purchase an animal that was suitable for the daily sacrifice so that the priests in the temple could continue uh, the ritual sacrifices that they needed to in order uh, for the Jewish people to run the temple appropriately. Now, eventually, the Talmud relates that one of the uh, advisors to Aristobulus, to the forces on the outside, who was a practitioner of Chochmah Yivanit, of Greek wisdom, which is usually, that's usually how we translate it, though it's not exactly accurate, but Greek wisdom, uh, has an idea. Also a great name for a band, by the way. <laughs> right. And what he, he practices Greek wisdom. He studies Greek wisdom. And what he says is, hold on, we're trying to conquer this city. And if we let the temple operations continue as usual, then the people on the inside will have no reason to surrender to us. They'll just still fight to the last man because we're enabling them to keep doing God's will in the temple. Why should we do that? Why, why shouldn't they let us take control? So he says, instead, what we're going to do next time they lower down a box with the money for the, for the sacrifice, we're going to send, instead of sending back up an animal that can be sacrificed appropriately, we're going to send back a pig. And when they do, the Talmud relates homiletically that on the way up in the box, the pig sort of uh, banged its hooves against the wall. And that very act shook the entire land of Israel like an earthquake. And thus was the end of the Jewish ability to bring the sacrifice amidst war, the daily sacrifice amidst war. Now, what we learn from this is, I think, it's like earth shattering, no pun intended with the earthquake. What I mean by that is, think about it. The guy in the story who's identified as being a practitioner of Greek wisdom isn't offering a quote. When he, What's the advice? What's the role that he plays in the story? What's the advice that he gives Aristobulus? It's not a quote from Aristotle. It's not a witticism from Socrates. It's not even like well-reasoned, like, you know, scholastic logic that would make Aquinas proud. It's just a base a sort of like degraded insight into not even grand strategy, but into tactics. Right. And what he basically says is until now we've all uh, been fighting a war against each other as Jews. And here's how we could fight it more effectively. But if you think about it, what he does is he destroys the entire reason for the war in the first place. Meaning it's it's obviously horrible that Jew is fighting against you and it never should have happened in the first place. But you know what? Such is life. The you know sometimes when people can't resolve a dispute, they are forced to they're either forced to blows or they're forced in front of a court. And in this case, two sides of a royal family that had ruled the Jewish people for a long time were forced to bear arms against each other. But at the end of the day, until this fellow came along, the fight was. You could really ask two questions. 
what are we fighting for and why are we fighting? The what we're fighting for was who controlled this strategic city. But the why we were fighting was who could better ensure, who could better lead the Jewish people so that they could serve the will of their creator in heaven and serve as a beacon of light, both to Jewish people throughout the world and to the wider society as a whole. And the compromise to ensure that the daily sacrifice could always be brought, even while the war was being fought, ensured that everybody understood that while there was a dispute over the what, there was total agreement amongst both sides on the why. The what, who controlled Jerusalem, that we can fight about. But the why, we have to be right with God. Everybody agreed to that. So Greek wisdom, the role that Greek wisdom plays in the story is not to sort of be scholastic logic counterposed to Talmudic hermeneutics. Rather, it was the question of a Hebrew worldview versus a Greek worldview. And the core difference between those two things, and people could come up with innumerable examples, but when you boil all the examples down, the core difference between the Hebraic worldview and the Hellenic worldview is that the Hebraic worldview has a teleology, meaning it believes that history is leading towards a culmination. Whereas Hellenic thought does not believe in teleology. It doesn't believe in eschatology. There's no Messiah. There's no end times in the Greek worldview. It's just an endless cycle of trying to, of striving for personal perfection and trying to keep the Olympian gods off your back. And if you're a real, you know, uh, from Neoplatonist, then the goal is just like personal, you know, personal virtue ethics and whatever, just being a good person. But the Hebraic worldview says, actually, we're all striving for something together. And so even if we're fighting over the means of how to get there, we all agree on the direction that we're going. And if we ever forget that, we're no longer a people. We're just a bunch of squabbling tribes. So what the fellow in the story who bears, who sort of, who studies Greek wisdom represents is not like a different type of wisdom. It's a totally different approach to the human condition. The man with Greek wisdom says, actually, it doesn't matter why we're fighting. It doesn't matter that we all are striving to fulfill God's will. All that matters is power. Which one of us controls the temple? Which one of us controls Harvard? Which one of us controls Davos? At the end of the day, what Greek wisdom represents is a will to power. And what Torah wisdom represents is an aspirational view of the human condition as ultimately, even though we all are fighting right now and the fighting may be desperate and real and may take real human lives, ultimately what we all want is a world redeemed, is a world in which the law can go forth from Jerusalem, from, from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so at the end of the day, what the rabbis banned was not the study of logic or the study of Gilan medicine or the study of mathematics or Newtonian physics. The rabbis weren't interested in subject matter disciplines. What the rabbis were deeply fearful of, and rightly so, was a world without eschatology, a world without teleology, a world without purpose. Because if you have a world without purpose, it's all about power. And if you want to see what a world that's only, that only cares about power looks like, just look at the world we're living in, and you'll see that the rabbis had a point. Hallelujah. Rabbi Ari Lam, thank you so much for this beautiful teaching and for being our guest. Hey, yo. <laughs>
This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you are really going to love the new book just published by me. It's called How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. You can order it now at your local bookstore or directly from the publisher through the link in this here podcast description or through that big online store whose logo is, you know, a smile. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You could get your Take One t-shirts and mugs and other swag at tabletstudios.com and you could subscribe to our weekly newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.